You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 97. Today's reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Brethren, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear omen to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now hear to be mine. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Father, I'd like to begin today with verses uh, 29 and 30 from chapter 1, which I'll read again now. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now hear to be mine. Would you discuss what St. Paul says here regarding our belief in Christ and and also our suffering for his sake, as Paul says? Yeah, it's actually really interesting, Jason, the language that Paul uses in this section that you just read. So I want to start, I think, by highlighting that. The, The word translated here as granted, that it was granted to you for the sake of Christ you should suffer is actually the same root word from which we get the English word grace. So then in the original, it's as though it reads, you have been graced for the sake of Christ to suffer. That's really interesting, Father. I appreciate you pointing that out. So I I suppose that really begs the question then, why is it that Paul frames it this way? Why would it be considered a grace for us to suffer for the sake of Christ? Yeah, definitely a good question. And, And before addressing it head on, I just want to point out something that I constantly stress, and that is that by speaking of suffering for Christ, or even of Christ himself suffering, the primary form of suffering being referenced in the Bible is not the physical suffering. Yes, physical suffering did happen with Jesus and with Paul, of course many other Christians, the martyrs before us, but the primary suffering is the suffering of one's reputation, of one's honor being lost. It's a suffering of humiliation by or in front of others. And again, this can often lead to physical suffering, but the primary suffering is the humiliation, the loss of honor, the soiling of a reputation. And so with that in mind, we can discuss suffering for the sake of Christ, why Paul speaks about that as something that is graciously provided for us. I think in our own English language, we have a well-known saying that relates to this. We say, no pain, no gain. Right. Yeah, certainly familiar with that. So what do you mean by that, though, in this context? Well, for the human being, any sort of worthwhile gain comes with some type of suffering, it seems. So think about getting stronger physically. You know, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, you, one of the ways you can do it, at least, is you lift weights. You start to tear down your muscles. But then in the process of the healing, they come back stronger. 
And so you repeat this process over and over, and you really start to make gains. But there's pain that comes with that. So when you, you finish your workout, because it's torn down your muscles to a certain degree, you have pain. And the same can be said for us spiritually. Without any form of suffering, any form of pain, we become spiritually stagnant. We become like a person who doesn't ever work out or exercise. They don't get stronger. And then if they're tested, or I should say when they're tested, when something happens in life where you need a little extra strength, you can't do what's needed. And again, the same can be said for us spiritually. If we're never tested, if we never suffer, then we don't really have an opportunity to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if, in fact, we are truly following Christ. That's a very helpful explanation. I think I'd like to probe that just a little bit more. And I think we can do that within the context of the next question that I had about what Paul refers to when he says that we should be, quote, engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now here to be mine. So is this related to what you were talking about? Oh, yeah, very much so. In fact, the word used here for conflict is the same root from which the English word agony is derived. And also of note, this word was used in Greek to speak about an athletic competition for which a person, of course, then must appropriately train. And like I was saying earlier, unless you have suffering, unless there's some sort of conflict, then there's no way to test one's faith, to test whether one is walking along Christ's path. And what I mean by that is that when everything is going well, it's easy to be kind to others. It's easy to feel as though you love others. But when you're suffering, when there's real conflict, it's not as easy. And then you're faced with the reality, do you really love your enemies? Can you say with Jesus, Father, forgive them? So when we have suffering, it's an opportunity for us to learn about ourselves. It's like having quizzes before the final exam, the final exam being what we call the great and fearful judgment. So it's good to have some quizzes beforehand, before that final exam, so that we can know areas where we need to improve, where we're falling short, so that we can correct those things before that day of the final judgment. And that's why, ultimately, it's a gracious act for us to be allowed to suffer. It allows us to grow spiritually, to learn areas where we need to improve before that final exam, before that final judgment. Great explanation, Father. Thank you. So moving on to the final topic for today, I want to read uh, from later in the reading, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what is Paul getting at here, Father, and how are we to accomplish this, this having the same mind, the same love, one mind, and so forth? Yeah, really good questions there, Jason. So let me begin by what Paul is getting at here, and then perhaps we can talk a little bit more about how to achieve this. One of Paul's greatest concerns for his churches was the threat of division, the tearing in two of what was supposed to be the one body of Christ, as he calls the church. We see this perhaps most clearly in the epistles to the Corinthians. They have a lot of division going on, and Paul was clearly not happy about that. And it makes sense, I think, if you step back and look at what Paul was doing and what the gospel is supposed to do. The gospel is supposed to unite people, to bring them together. Paul went to great lengths. He himself was suffering, as we discussed earlier, for this purpose, to bring together Jews and Gentiles, to bring together rich and poor, to bring together the sinner and the saint. 
So with that in mind, I think we can understand why Paul encourages unity. You know, anyone can can form their own community, get along with those who become insiders within that community. But what Paul does, what the gospel does when practiced correctly, is to bring together everyone, to open the table of fellowship to anyone who decides to accept that gospel message, and not just to people who belong to the same ethnic group or, you know, any other category that we humans use to divide us up. So the the community, the church community, the Pauline community, the gospel community, when operating correctly, has to be open to all who wish to participate in that life and accept the gospel message. And it cannot divide itself up based on earthly disputes, because to do so is, again, to tear the body of Christ apart. So that's why Paul is constantly advocating being of the same love, being of one accord and, and one mind. And then maybe just the last part of that, Father, how are we to accomplish this? Yeah, that's the hard part of your question. So it's easy to talk about being of one mind, but quite another to actually accomplish it. And I think the concept itself of of how to actually accomplish this is also simple, but difficult to practice. I think the only way that we can be of one mind, that we can stay united, is through offering the same grace to others that God first offered us. And this also, of course, is central to the gospel message. To be a united community, we have to be willing to offer grace. We have to be willing to forgive people because we all fall short. We have to be willing to assume that when people make mistakes, it's not due to evil intent. It's due to being a human being who's weak. It's to be, as as Paul famously mentioned, desiring to do good, but often finding yourself doing the opposite. So to maintain unity, we have to offer grace by helping people get back up when they fall down, to encourage one another, to weep when others weep, to laugh with them when they laugh, to desire for them good things, and never to wish evil upon them, even if they've wronged us. And all of these things that I mentioned, I think if you read Paul, if you read Scripture, you'll see these concepts all over the place, and I think it's the only way that we can attain and maintain the unity of the church community as it's supposed to be, as it's supposed to have by offering the same grace to others that God offers unto us. Thank you, Father. Today's discussion began with Father Aaron clarifying that the word translated as granted in verse 29 from our reading is the same root word for grace. This would then read, You have been graced for the sake of Christ to suffer. And to better understand the implications of this, we were reminded that the primary form of suffering referred to in Scripture is the suffering of humiliation rather than physical suffering. Furthermore, if we think about the familiar phrase, no pain, no gain, we can better understand that without suffering, we will become spiritually stagnant. And if we are never tested, if we never suffer, then we do not have the opportunity to examine ourselves to see if we are truly following Christ. Suffering also presents an opportunity for us to learn about ourselves, to see in what areas we need to improve and to correct them before the final judgment. Therefore, being allowed to suffer is a gracious act. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to the old God. Alleluia, 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 glory to the O God, O our God and our hope, glory.